morning. It's nice to be back here again. I want to thank you for your warm welcome the last time I was here preaching. Um, it's good to see some faces that I recognize this time. And also to have Dave here. As he said, we've known each other for a long time. Dave has been a mentor for a long time. And this is the first time that we've led together in worship, which um, is a fun thing, an exciting thing for me to do. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So this morning, I am actually going to, I'm going to be very unpresbyterian and not do things decently and in order. And I'm going to read from a different gospel than listed in your bulletin. I'm going to read from Mark chapter 10. It's the same two encounters, Jesus with the children and Jesus with the young man, but I'm going to read it from Mark's version because there's one line that that I love that Mark includes. So we're going to read that this morning. It's Mark chapter 10 and it's verses 13 through 27. People were bringing little children to him in order that Jesus might touch them and the disciples spoke sternly to them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Do not stop them. For it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you own, and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed, at these words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God, all things are possible. The word of the Lord. Why don't we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for this good word from Mark, a word that reminds us that you welcome us, that you desire to bless us, that you look upon us with love. And so we pray that we would be receivers of that love this morning, that we would encounter you in this word and be sent out in love as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this passage definitely is about the welcome of Jesus, but I think there's more here. And so my big idea is that Jesus confronts our impossibilities with love, 
and commands us to follow him. Jesus confronts our impossibilities with love and commands us to follow him. So I'll circle around that theme as we move through these two encounters. Jesus confronts our impossibilities, confronts, I think, two impossibilities here in this text. And what I mean by impossibilities are kind of impossible, dead-end approaches to relationship with God, to live in God's kingdom, to inherit eternal life. The first impossible way of approaching God is to think that to enter the kingdom of God, one has to have a certain status or be deserving of entering the kingdom of God. We see this with the disciples as they disqualify the children from Jesus's presence. See, children in ancient Near Eastern culture, children were barely human. (laughs) They were kind of more along the lines of property until they became of age. They were not seen as having any status socially and were on the lowest rung of the ladder. And so the disciples see parents bringing little children to Jesus and they're shooing them away. Jesus doesn't have time. Jesus is an important teacher. He's got people to heal, miracles to do, scribes and Pharisees to debate. He doesn't have time for these little ones. And they're shooing away. And Jesus, it says, is indignant by this. He's frustrated and corrects the disciples. This impossibility Jesus confronts, this impossible way of approaching Jesus and thinking of him that you have to have some kind of status to be worth Jesus's time. The other impossibility that Jesus confronts or approach impossible approach to eternal life is with this young man who comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, what must I do? Good teacher, what must I do? He goes to Jesus who he recognizes is a good teacher, a rabbi, and he wants to learn something in order to earn the kingdom of God. What must I do? And he's approaching God in a transactional manner. But love, the love of God in particular, is not transactional. And so Jesus confronts this impossibility, this impossible way to God's love. You cannot earn God's love. You cannot get God's love by doing the right things. And it's sneaky, these two impossibilities. We, like the disciples and like this young man, I think are tempted to trust in these impossible approaches to God, to trust in our status that we need to have a certain status or standing before God to qualify for his kingdom, or that we trust in maybe our qualifications like the young man. There's a false sense of blessing here. And it's a little ironic that the disciples who they were lowly fishermen to begin with, are now a little puffed up, shooing people away that don't meet their standards of importance for Jesus. It's sneaky how this idea that 
you have to be a certain status to be worth God's time can get in and lead to a false sense of blessedness even for the disciples. We see it here. Or for this young man, this false sense of security, this false sense of blessing rooted in his obeying the commandments since he was a youth and even rooted in his wealth. We hear Jesus say that it's how hard it will be for those with wealth to enter the kingdom. And that in particular in the ancient Near East is true because those who were wealthy had leisure time. And it was those who had leisure time in Jesus' day who were able to study religion, <laughs> were able to give time to obeying the commandments and, and really giving, studying the commandments and knowing what they are who could had time to go to Jesus, the special teacher, and debate Jesus and learn from Jesus. And so the young man has this false sense of blessedness. And we see it in the disciples even going, oh, what, what does Jesus mean by this? Uh, people who have wealth are often the ones who have given time to studying God's word. And Jesus is saying that they have a hard time inheriting the kingdom. And Jesus is confronting these impossibilities, these impossible ways of approaching God. When we think like this, Jesus says it's impossible to enter the kingdom because it's impossible to enter the kingdom to inherit eternal life when you're doing so dependent on your own doing, dependent upon your own status. And I found myself thinking this week, when am I like the disciples? When have I been like this young man? depending on my status or my doing and earning in order to be in right standing with God. If I do the right things or if I've kind of put myself in the right positions, then God will have favor on me. Have you ever found yourself maybe approaching God in that way, similar to the the disciples thinking are similar to the young man's thinking. And what's interesting, or again, kind of that sneaky part, is that the disciples and this young man here seem to earnestly be seeking Jesus. They seem to be earnestly desiring to be in God's kingdom. And yet, they're just a little off track. New Testament professor William Lane, he says about this passage, the kingdom may be entered only by one who knows he or she is helpless and small without claim or merit. The kingdom may be entered only by one who knows he or she is helpless and small without claim or merit. And I think that's why, as I read those words this week, why these two Impossible approaches to the kingdom are so tempting. One of status or to approach the kingdom by the way of doing. Because to be helpless and small is scary. To be helpless and small, we live in a world where 
And it's always been like this, even in Jesus' day, to be helpless and small. We, we try to avoid being helpless and small at all costs, don't we? We try to hide our smallness. We try to cover up our weaknesses. We shun maybe those who are helpless and small. We try to medicate our helplessness and our smallness. We try to compensate for our helplessness and our smallness. And yet, Jesus, Jesus' power is made perfect in weakness in those who are helpless and small. And Jesus confronts those impossible approaches of doing and status with love. Why I love this Mark's take and retelling of these two encounters because there's one line that Matthew doesn't include and that's that he looked on him with love. And that word look in Greek is that Jesus looked intently at the young man and loved him. Jesus confronts these impossibilities with love. Jesus loves us deeply and invites us into a new way of approaching the kingdom to receive the kingdom. You notice he says that the kingdom belongs to such as these, the children who are there and all they can do is receive the kingdom. They come with no qualifications They are to receive the kingdom as children. We are to receive the kingdom as children. I'm a paraeducator at Frank Wagner Elementary School right now, and I recently got my emergency substitute certification. So I ordinarily work with third graders, but last week I subbed for a day in kindergarten. I was so tired by the end of the day. And kinders, they're delightful, but they're so needy. You know, third graders, you can do, the the teacher can say, okay, we're going to do 45 minutes of independent reading or writing. And there might be a question here or there, but kinders, they need help all the time. (laughs) They are dependent on the direction and the problem solving and the reconciliation and restorative conversations between classmates on the teacher. This is what Jesus, I think, is getting at to receive the kingdom like children. We need to be dependent like kinders and preschoolers and toddlers who are dependent upon their caregivers, dependent and trusting of their caregivers. And so Jesus says, do not hinder these, for the kingdom belongs to them who trust and who are in need and depend on me. You don't have to be a VIP to see me. Disciples, you don't need to be my bouncers. There's no VIP section. That's why Jesus looks at this young man with love who comes and says, what, what do I need to do? What one thing do I need to do? I, I've done everything in the law since my youth, but I feel like there's still something missing. And Jesus just sees how he is in bondage 
to this way of thinking. How it's just a constant source of anxiety that he hasn't done enough, that he's missed something, that he can earn God's love. And Jesus looks at him with love. And he says, there's one thing you lack. Come and follow me. Jesus confronts our impossibilities with love and commands us to follow him. And I use that word command because when Jesus says, follow me to this young man, it can almost be read like an invitation. Follow me if you'd like. But when Jesus says, follow me, it's in the imperative. It's a, it's a follow me. It's a command, but it's a command made in love to leave this way of life that is enslaving him and to enter into a new way of life, a way of life that is simply being who he is with his weaknesses, small and helpless before God with open arms receiving the love of God rather than earning it. Jesus confronts our impossibilities and commands us to follow him, to rely completely on the love of God because everything is possible with God. We can come as we are. If you're not holy, that's okay. If you don't have enough status, no problem. Your qualifications are subpar. Not a worry. You haven't crossed every T and dotted every I of God's law. Not a barrier too big. Your theology is maybe a little iffy. Not a disqualifier. Your community service hours are a little bit lacking. Your generosity is a little low. It's not an insurmountable obstacle for Jesus. Why? Because all things are possible for God. God majors in the impossible, raising Jesus from the dead, making a way through the Red Sea. God gives the gift of love to us, his love for us. He looks on you, just as a young man, looks on each of you this morning and loves you. And it's not just a glance. He looks intently at each of you and loves you. Loves you as you are, and he invites you to come, follow me. And that command to follow me is a command to receive. Receive my love. Be transformed by my love. Be a kindergartner, not a big third grader. And rely on me. I've been reading about emotionally focused therapy lately. And I think it helps us think about how to rely and to be in this posture of receiving God. Sue Johnson, the founder of Emotional Focused Therapy, she writes, loving connection is the antidote to fear, pain, and insecurity. 
Loving connection is the antidote to fear, pain, and insecurity. And I think we see the disciples shooing the little children away because they're operating out of insecurity and fear. Jesus doesn't have time for these things. He's more important. Then they are puffing themselves up because they're actually kind of insecure about their status as disciples, their own qualifications as disciples. The young man is asking, what, what do I lack? Because he's functioning out of insecurity and fear of missing out on God's kingdom, on the gift of eternal life. And what we need is connection with Jesus. Connection with Jesus is the antidote to fear and to insecurity and to pain. Sue Johnson goes on and she says, we are wired for bonded relationships and support. We're wired for relationship with Jesus, for connection with Jesus, to depend on Jesus, to be in relationships, not only with Jesus, but with one another, where we can depend on one another. That's the gift of the church, being a community that can depend on one another. We don't have to put on our strong suit when we come to church. We can depend on one another and be in a posture of receiving rather than a closed up posture. I was struck this morning as I drove up and you're surrounded by children here. (laughs) You've got an elementary school over here and a preschool in your building. And I thought at first, oh, I wonder how you all can receive children like Jesus. But then as I was thinking about it more, I, I wonder just like the, the children in that moment taught a lesson to the disciples through that interaction with Jesus, what might you be able to learn from having children in your midst and surrounding you? What might Jesus want to teach you as a congregation by having these children around and open you up to God's love and receiving his love and being with God? Just a thought. That was a random thought that was not, it's not typed on my page. It just struck me. But Jesus confronts our impossibilities with love and commands us to follow him into love. And when we do that, when we seek him with open arms of reception, then we also can approach people with open arms as well and extend that love of God to others. And one way that you can maybe try this week to practice that open receiving of God's love is a technique that I've learned through Metta, which is this practice of radical kindness. And um, it's a meditation where you just speak loving words to yourself in the third person or the second person because that gives you some self-distance. And it actually has been proven to help bolster yourself against stress and anxiety. But as I've thought about that in practice of prayer, to speak the promises of God to yourself in prayer 
to rewire your brains to trust in and to receive God's love in a real way. And so I've taken from Colossians 3, and I'm praying when I pray, I've been praying lately, Patrick, you are holy. Patrick, you are chosen. Patrick, you are dearly loved by the Father. And repeat that. And that's one way you could practice maybe simply, in a simple way, receiving God's love. is to take a promise of God that kind of resonates with you and speak that to yourself in the second person or in the third person. It might feel kind of funny. It felt kind of funny at first. But that's a, a real way, a simple way that you can practice receiving God's love and then be sent out into your day with open arms towards others. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.